You're listening to Australia's Tax News Podcast. Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 102 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Klaas for sponsoring this episode. Some of your clients with aging parents will turn to you for guidance when their parents' current setup no longer works. So it helps to understand the basics around aged living. So retirement villages, home care, granny flats, residential aged care and the lot. John Saunders of the Pittwater Partnership is a financial and specialist advisor around retirement living in aged care. So I asked John to tell you more. Here's John. As your client's trusted advisor, they'll often come to you as a first point of contact for many different types of questions. Increasingly now, if you don't realise it, what's on the mind of your... Clients. Thank you, clients. In the age group 50 to 60, are there ageing parents and what care needs they may have over time? I'll talk through these options and I'll concentrate more on retirement villages, granny flat rights, home care and residential aged care. As a start, many people confuse retirement villages with residential aged care. Retirement villages are governed by the appropriate state act for retirement villages. Aged care and home care are under the Commonwealth Acts and they're the same conditions and fees wherever you are in Australia. And so retirement villages are probably more a lifestyle choice, whereas aged care and home care is probably when you basically you need help. Yes, that's correct. Retirement villages are largely for people who are independent, and it's often called independent living. Often they resemble, you know, small villa units on sharing common facilities, mm. common rooms. There's a social aspect to living there. And probably the driver there is the lifestyle for people entering a retirement village. Often people leave it a little late. The average age for entering a retirement village is mid-70s, whereas the average age for someone entering aged care is probably mid-80s. I see. So on average, people spend 10 years in a retirement village. Yes, but not everyone will require aged care. Firstly, retirement villages have an entry fee and also they have an exit fee. Commonly, the exit fee may be around 25 to 30% of the... And here you have to be careful whether it's on the entry fee or the uh, uh, sale price. Does the resident receive any benefit from increased in capital value in the contract? And... In addition to that, does uh, what's the recurrent fee that's paid each month to service the villa unit and the common areas? But as we said before, retirement villages are for people who are independent and the retirement village can make a judgment that you're no longer suitable 
as in regards to health. So they basically can kick you out. Yes, that's right. What's less common in retirement villages are assisted living or service departments. These resemble somewhat what used to be called low care in residential aged care. It often resembles a single bed or bed sitter type accommodation with a small kitchenette. But this is for people who are starting to lose their independence and require assistance with meals. They buy meals in, a lot of the heavy laundry is done and there are other services they can buy in. Often it may be on a rental basis, not the um, typical basis of villa units. There's a range of uh, contracts for retirement villages. It could be leasehold, license, company title, very rarely, freehold title, even more rare, or um, rental. And rentals commonly used for assisted living. One of the other things which we'll talk about later is home care. And this can help residents of retirement villages remain in their own home longer. And these are services subsidised by the Commonwealth, which can be brought into the unit in a retirement village and into their own home. And we'll talk a bit more about them later. So it is possible in most retirement villages, it is possible to continue staying there and just to bring receive in services, bring to in help services you. for home care, basically. Yes. So to basically combine retirement village and home care. Yes, they can. Increasingly, retirement villages are also looking at home care as another source of income and can provide those services in-house. Often we neglect the family home and increasingly now in places like Sydney and Melbourne, there's the opportunity for multi-generational inhabitation of the parents' home. Based on that, we'll also talk later on about um, granny flat rights, which can be very important. So as people age and as their advisor, it's always worth looking ahead at the issue of longevity and how people may choose what care they have as they grow older. So the home can be an important aspect there. I'd also like to mention a couple of other things. Over 55 communities, they're really just a planning issue which enable a developer to develop property more easily. And there's rules about renting property out and you've got a limited population of people over 55 to sell it to when you leave. Oh, really? So there are different planning rules yes. when you build something that is only for people yes, over 55? Yes, that's um, to encourage people to do oh, that development. I'll also just briefly mention demountable homes and uh, caravan parks. People who live there actually rent the land and they own the um, caravan or demountable home. They also may be eligible for rental assistance because they're renting the site. However, these arrangements tend to be very insecure because the property could be redeveloped and there's been quite a few occasions where this has happened up and down the coast where lands become more valuable. Granny flat rights can have a wide range of circumstances that fit this arrangement. Granny flat rights are in relation to Centrelink, 
and when I say Centrelink, also DVA, they have a special status. You may be aware that people cannot give more than $10,000 in a financial year or $30,000 over a five-year period. Now... And what are those limits about, the $10,000 and the $35,000? From the point of view of Centrelink, Centrelink allow you to give $10,000 in any one financial year... As a gift. As a gift, and... 30,000 over a five-year period. And those rules exist to stop people giving away large amounts of money so they increase their Centrelink benefit or DVA benefit. And how far does that go back? So Five years, generally, if you apply for age care, which is tested, or age pension, gifting over a five-year period is taken into account. I see. So if you want to help your children, for example, with a deposit for a house, you then basically need to wait for five years before you can consider yes, qualifying or, for the age pension. Yeah, or gift it earlier. And um, so you avoid that period when you go on the age pension. Granny flat rights. Now, so Centrelink have... The Social Security Act allows what's called granny flat rights in which a parent might give a child a certain amount of money to live simply live in their home. And in that situation, Centrelink apply a reasonableness test. And that reasonable test is a multiple of um, the combined uh, couple rate of age pension. And depending on the age of the parent in, um, giving away the money, that determines what the multiple is. So what is it roughly? Is well, it roughly it would a few be... A thousands or Yeah, a couple thousand? hundred thousand dollars would be quite a large reasonableness result. So it's not a huge amount of money. The person who has the granny flat right is considered a homeowner while they live at home. Generally, Centrelink expect that arrangement to last at least five years. And so if someone has an ACAT assessment and then gives away a large amount of money for a granny flat right, that could easily be challenged because it's not the expectation that the parent would be in the home uh, for an extended period of time. Being able to give away money for the granny flat right could easily be abused and Centrelink have heard all the um, excuses. In this situation, Centrelink allow a much larger amount, we'll talk about the other situations, for the parent to give away much more than the gifting rights. So uh, without being assessed as having a deprived asset. So that's the main feature of a granny flat right is getting around the gifting rules. I see. So usually you can only gift up to 10,000. Yes. But when you, play, when you pay for a granny flat right, yes. then you can gift a lot more probably... 100,000, up to 100,000, or yes. maybe even 200,000, depending and on circumstances. What we might do is give you a link to the reasonableness test. We all recognise the little granny flat in the back of uh, someone's house. The cost of building that granny flat uh, would be the right. If the house was modified to suit a parent coming in, that would also be an expense that would be unlimited, actually within reasonable, you know, you could spend $300,000 adding another room to the house to accommodate a parent. The cost of building the typical granny flat in the backyard, it can be used a bit more broadly if 
let's say mum moves in with the daughter or, or asks the daughter to move in with her, she can transfer the title into the daughter's name so that uh, she no longer holds the home. But they will be treated as a sale for stamp duty. Yes, so the daughter would have to pay stamp duty. There would be stamp duty in that situation. Another situation is mum might sell her home and the daughter and mum might buy a new home. And in that case, the amount that mum puts in there into the contributes to the new home is unlimited, virtually, and she can dispose of a large amount of asset, if you like. Obviously, there's um, important estate planning equalisation issues. Um, what happens if the arrangement doesn't work out between the daughter, in this case, the daughter and the mother? The daughter's spouse I might not get on with mum. The family situation might change. All these issues need to be discussed so there's no surprises later on. Also, from an estate planning point of view, mum's home let's say if it's transferred into the daughter's name, might be the only asset in the estate and there may be other siblings. So, you know, all these things need to be considered. I talked about the typical granny flat, modifying the home, purchasing a new home in the name of a daughter. It might be buying a villa unit next door to the daughter's place. That could also constitute a granny flat right. And in those circumstances... The value of the granny flat right is virtually unlimited, whereas if a mother contributed an amount of money to the daughter to move into an existing home where there is no expenditure required, then that's where the reasonableness test applies. Assisting mum or dad to stay in their existing home, whether that's in a retirement village, a unit or a standalone home. There are two currently two programs. One is the Commonwealth Home Support Program, which and the other is the Home Care Package. And both receive Commonwealth subsidies. And why do we need two programs? Well, we don't need two programs long term and I think they will all both be combined under the MyGov site. And I should start off by saying, because these are Commonwealth Government subsidised, there is a, an assessment process and it's called an aged care assessment team member would come and visit mum or dad in their home and assess what their care needs. Sometimes the local GP can arrange these appointments earlier than what you can by contacting the ACAT offices separately or individually. These are listed on myagecare.gov.au is the site. So myagecare.gov.au is the website, government website, where all these home care packages and Commonwealth home support packages are organised now. Because it probably is quite often that when you need home care, you need it quite quickly. That's quite right. Often it is acute and someone leaving hospital who's aged would receive an assessment as part of their process of being discharged so an ACAP person would visit them. I might add that uh, the Commonwealth Home Support Programme you probably are familiar with. It's Meals on Wheels, uh, sometimes assistance with gardening and cleaning in the house. That's quite basic level and very limited hours. 
So it's no um, help with personal hygiene, etc.? No. The home care packages, currently it's levels one to four. You'll also be assessed whether you're eligible for one of these government-subsidised home care packages. A level four package might be worth $55,000 and give you, you know, maybe 17 hours a week. So it's not for someone who requires 24-hour care. Then we're looking more at um, something like residential aged care. And the levels, it starts at one. How far does it go? Only to four at the moment. They're talking about having a fifth level. The major problem is there are insufficient packages. And say on the northern beaches, there might be, you know, 100,000 waiting lists or, you know, at least a year before one becomes available. They are prioritised. I see. So level, it's level one to four. And then once you're past level four, you basically are out of a home care solution anyway. Yes, that could possibly it. You can subsidise the level of care by purchasing private care, often from the same provider who's um, providing the relevant home care package. The delay in the availability of home care packages is probably the biggest issue. And, for instance, if you needed a Level 4 package, it probably means you need it tomorrow, not in a six months or a year's time. The Commonwealth Home Support Packages, the very basic packages, there's a much greater prevalence of those. I see. And so what do people do who need a home care package, Level 4, for example, and can't get it? they just pay for it privately or yes they can or do pay they for move it. into residential aged care or what do they usually do often that might be what forces them into residential aged care depending on the family situation you know family may be interstate overseas or have young children themselves and not being able to provide that level of care directly to mum or dad and in the absence of being able to purchase sufficient private care then entry to residential aged care is often what happens. There are various providers of home care and it is um, consumer directed now. The package belongs to the person, not to the provider. The other important thing to keep in mind, the provider of the home package may charge up to 25% of the value of the package to administer it. With the home care packages, the basic fee is $10.43 a day, and then there's an income assessment for an income-tested fee. And I'm rounding, any of these figures are unrounding because they're indexed frequently, at least twice a year. But this $10 a day, what does that mean, this $10.43 a day? That's your basic contribution to the package. So if your income's over $26,000 and under $50,000, then you may have to contribute an income-tested fee up to about um, $5,000 a year. And above $50,000, there's a, a cap of $10,000 for the income-tested fee, $10,500 roughly. So it's still very heavily subsidised by the Commonwealth Government and it was designed to try and keep people in their home, which is what most people would like to do, but a shortage of packages is not really achieving that for everyone. I'll also say for many people um, have a very negative view of, of um, aged care facilities, which we'll go on and talk about in a minute, 
But remember, for most people, elderly people at home, in our society, they're isolated, and their friends have died over time. Or are in aged care as well. Or are in aged care, and they may not be, may have lost interest in cooking meals, may not be taking medication at the right time, and it's a very vulnerable time for aged people, especially where there's not a lot of family around. Mm. And then finally the doorbell rings and a nice young man comes and talks to them and in the yes. end they ask to sign here or there. And Yes, that's right. And uh, financial abuse uh, of aged people is probably still understated. And also from often if family aren't close by, it's not easy to detect the early stages of dementia where people start making poor decisions or become very unsure. They may also become very suspicious, often of the wrong people. And um, I think this abuse is a lot more common than what we see. And hence, in an aged care facility, for example, they're not as exposed to these risks? No, certainly not in terms of someone knocking on the door. The aged care facilities can ban people from visiting, and sometimes this might be a family member where they're not the enduring guardian and there's other disputes happening. But basically, um, in an aged care facility, there's a lot more control. Um, it doesn't stop financial abuse by family members. Or nurses or... Yes, but I think um, facilities are very careful about those issues because people are so vulnerable. And probably when someone goes into care, they don't need access to a large amount of money or if they still operate a transaction account, it's often good to have another account attached to that, which you can use to top up the transaction account regularly, but you know what's going in and out. And often it's time for the power of attorney, and we haven't talked about those terms, enduring guardian and power of attorney, but for the power of attorney to take some overview or control. That can be a delicate issue for someone or a parent who's been very independent and private with their information. On top of all that, we also have mixed families now where the parents have remarried and um, that also adds another complication. In residential aged care, it's a very protected environment and the family member who will be sitting in front of you asking you to provide the solution, probably in their 50s or 60s, there's often a lot of angst about residential aged care, a lot of fear, all sorts of family issues come out at this stage. Why are we spending so much money on uh, mum's accommodation? What will happen to that refundable accommodation deposit? All these sort of issues come out there. So it's useful to have a bit of a background and to know where to go to get some of the basic information. When you're selecting a residential aged care facility, I think one of the very important things is that it's close to a family member so that they can drop in when they're coming back from shopping or when the kids are coming, going out to sport, you can drop in briefly. Those sort of visits are very good and easy to manage and provide 
a very good boost to the quality of life of the person in care. Also, it provides other people's eyes looking over your parents' situation and for the facility to know that there's someone coming in to visit frequently is a very good thing. When you're comparing facilities, it's good to listen to usually the director of nursing will take you on a trip around. Just listen to how the staff address the residents and talk to them. It gives you a good feel for how your parent will be treated in care. There are extra service, very flash facilities, and there are very basic ones. But um, for the most part, it's that person who's going to be in your mum or dad's face every day doing those tasks for your parents that will determine what quality of existence they have in care. So when you're comparing facilities from a financial point of view, because aged care is very heavily regulated under the Commonwealth Aged Care Act, it's the same wherever you are in Australia, the things to look at first are what the refundable accommodation deposit is, the RAD, and the other difference will be whether it's an extra service or additional service facility. These are the only two things that the facility has some control of. Virtually everything else we're going to talk about is government set. So we talked about the entry contribution, the RAD, the Refundable Accommodation Deposit. It's a lump sum payment. Varies between, say, 250 lots it around 550,000. So you know, 250 is 250,000? 50, yes. And 250,000? Yeah, would be a low refundable accommodation Seriously. deposit. So and that basically involves selling the family home because otherwise who has to We'll talk about those options. It's not always the case and we'll come back to that. So when you're looking around, you only have to listen to what the RAD is, the refundable accommodation deposit, the lump sum, and whether it's extra service or additional service. Now, the lump sum refundable accommodation deposit is only payable when a mum or dad becomes permanent. Sometimes they may enter care under respite. And in this situation, they only pay a basic daily care fee, which currently is $50.66 a day. And if there's an extra service fee or additional service fee, they pay that. I interrupted you before <laughs> because yes. I was so hooked on the 250000 The RAD starts at 250000 and it goes up to 500000 No, the facility can choose. It's basically you're buying a room. So it's a, more a real estate type of question. So if you're in the eastern suburbs, it might be $1.1 million. And there are much lower rates in the eastern suburbs. And also rarity. Even out sometimes in rural areas, the rats can be a lot higher. If so there is no limit on the rats? The facility? There is one limit, and that's that if you charge a rad over $550,000, that's the facility, then they have to get permission from the aged care pricing authority. Otherwise, it's more in that area, you know, what the cost of land is, how many facilities are there, who, who are, how many people want to go there, that um, often drives the price. They run on a very high occupancy rate, so sometimes there's not much opportunity to bargain about the refundable accommodation deposit because it is negotiable. And the facility might ring you on uh, a Friday night and say, oh, we've got a bed, take your time, tell us on Monday morning whether you want it or not because there's a waiting list. 
So often there's not a lot of negotiation about the RAD. Now, I've talked to about the RAD. It doesn't suit everyone, and not everyone has $550,000 in their back pocket when mum or dad become permanent. If you don't pay the RAD up front, then you pay currently the maximum permissible interest rate is 5.96% on the outstanding RAD. So that interest payment would have been nice if they called it interest, but they called it a daily accommodation payment, a DAP. So the facility will often quote you the RAD and the DAP, the equivalent interest payment. So you have a choice of whether you part pay the RAD as a lump sum and pay some DAP, or that you pay a deposit into the RAD and then have the interest payment, the DAP, deducted from the RAD balance. And what do you see most people do? If people have got money in cash and investments, often it's all other things being equal, it's better to fund the RAD because you're getting a guaranteed return of 5.96% in that you're not having to pay the DAP. So that also decreases the cash flows. The, any money you pay into the RAD is Commonwealth Government guaranteed to be repaid when the person leaves the facility. But it's repaid without interest, obviously. Yeah, without interest. And don't be confused by how I said that. You don't receive the 5.96% interest on the outstanding, on the RAD, if you pay it. It's like... You know, paying cost. yeah, opportunity costs like paying money into your mortgage. You don't then have to fund the interest. So we've talked about the entry costs, the RAD and the DAP. I'll talk about the daily care fees. The basic daily care fee, the $50.66, you pay, everyone pays that, and you pay it if you enter on respite, and you may have up to 63 days respite in a year, and it can be extended. However, if you're going in permanent, the facility doesn't, have to give you that 63 days. Uh, they might only give you a couple of weeks to sort out your finances. So the daily fees are the $50.66. That's about $18,500 a year. That fee is set at 85% of the single basic rate of age pension. Whether you're on an age pension or not, it's just a way of indexing that payment. So Prior to September, 20th, well, the pension goes up 20th September and 20th of, of March each year. So prior to 20th September, it was $50.16 a day. So it went up 50 cents. So it's not going to jump dramatically. And if that's all the person's paying and they're on the full age pension, then that leaves them with about $100 a week spending money. And I think that's why they chose that percentage of the pension. Um, I can imagine most residential aged care facilities would not be interested in respite care because with respite care, they just get the $50.66, whereas when they offer permanent care, they get half a million dollars in red. Uh, thank you for asking that question because it leads into the next fee that the Commonwealth Government sets is the means-tested care fee. And what you don't see as a resident or the child of a resident, is the Commonwealth Government subsidy that is paid to the facility directly for your mum and dad's care. Oh, I see. So they don't, the, the facility doesn't just get the $50.66, they get some additional funds from the, the government. government bed, and government. that's why you need an ACAT assessment as a starting point. And on the ACAT assessment, they'll tick the box for maybe home care. They might tick the box for respite care, giving you eligibility 
to um, book in mum if you you know for a couple of weeks while you go on holidays. That sort of, or if mum comes out of hospital and she's still recovering, sometimes that respite care is useful. And the third box I can tick is for permanent residential aged care. And generally, the aged care facility isn't interested in talking to you until you have that ACAT assessment because... Um, that's where the money is. Well, that's also, you know, they have to talk to a lot of people. There's probably a 30% turnover of those beds each year because people who are entering aged care a lot later often they're entering care because they have a serious illness already and whereas in the past they would say the average length of stay for a woman is about three and a half years some facilities are saying you know the turnover uh, the average stay is close to 18 months so there'd be people who are very ill entering care and then There'd be people who may have progressive dementia. They might live quite a lot longer. So it's not a bell-shaped curve. It has a longer tail. But that's been the experience. And probably due to home care packages, that's pushed the age out for people who finally have to go into residential aged care. And as we said before, a lot of the 50% of the phone calls I receive would be, our oh, mum's in Royal North Shore. She fell over and broke a hip. They want the bed. She needs to go into residential aged care. Two phone calls a year where someone would ring and say, oh, it's time for me to go into aged care. doesn't happen. And often, as I said, there's a very negative view of residential aged care, which I think for many people is unwarranted. And you can understand where that was a family home. The kids are growing up there. And for that generation, dad may have built the home initially it's a very big wrench at that stage of your life to leave a known environment but the other issues of loneliness eating properly taking medication being safe uh, you know not leaving the gas tap on or um, falling over and being by yourself they're all become bigger risks for the elderly person and it's hard very hard to draw a line in the sand sometimes and say this is time for mum to come into care but often the wheels turned, you're now the grown-up, and it's a bit like dropping the kids off at uh, kindy. They cry and wrenches your heart, and then 30 seconds later they're off playing on the swing. But that's I'm not being flippant about um, the trauma of that change for the parent and also uh, for the family. You know, there's a lot of guilt sometimes. You know, maybe I should have left work and stayed home and looked after mum for longer or... You know, maybe we should have bought a bigger home to accommodate mum or all these issues. And often it's very good to rely on the advice of the director of nursing who's gone through this frequently and they can give you a lot of support during this process. They put a lot of effort into the aged person entering care to help them adjust and settle in. It's probably the family don't get that same support. Welcome back. So aged living is a journey. What might be a good solution at 70 might no longer work at 80 or 90. So in this episode, John Saunders looked at the main options that are out there. In the next episode, episode 103, John will talk about how to finance these options. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for the support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.